0: Today is a special day, because today you're here and it is Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday. What a a special day to be a part of a a church family, because it's on this day that we celebrate the, the triumphal entry of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords into Jerusalem as he made his Lordship known. Amen? This is this is an amazing day, and I can't imagine what the the mood, the the, the atmosphere must have been on that day some two thousand years ago as Jesus came in to Jerusalem. I, I mean, there's very few things that must have been like it, but one thing that that it may have been like what would be like if the president was to come into town. Uh, I mean, you, you know, like your favorite president, you pick your favorite president and that's what it would have been like. No, not all of them. I mean, you know, but your favorite one. Okay. And you think about what that must have been like the, the planning, the preparation, the determination to, to make sure that everything was perfect. And I, and I kind of did a little bit of research to try to figure out what, what it takes to bring a president into town. First of all, the the president has to have an intention to come. He has to make his intention known. And then he, he comes to the secret service and he begins to plan the the, the event, the the security involved in the event. And so the secret service makes all these plans and this organization, and they start running all the backgrounds of everybody to figure out who who the threats are, to analyze the situation. And the the secret service makes the security uh, plans that, that keep the president safe and and his entourage safe and even the crowd safe and and the, the secret service coordinates with local and and federal law enforcement to make sure that that everybody's on board and has the same plans and then they they start putting together the logistics of it. The, the logistics are just mind-blowing. Hundreds of people come with the president, and they have to have places to stay, and, and food, and they, they have to have a budget, and they have to, that's where all your tax money goes. And then they, they, have to have, um, <laughs> they have to have so much stuff just logistically planned out, not only just flying in, but the transportation to and from, and, and all during. It's just, it's unbelievable. Then they're, they're going to the coordination uh, aspect of it where they, they contact local media outlets and national media outlets and they, 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 they start the publicity of the visitation. And, and then those media outlets, they begin to send out and to broadcast the message and the agenda of the situation. And, 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 then, and then after all of that, then there's the, the, the meetings and the briefs that, that, that tell again everything that's going to happen. And it kind of encapsulates the, the whole visitation. And that's just on the president's side. Then you, you go to the town and you find out that the town is busy in preparation. They put the they send the the, the 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 sweepers through the streets to make sure that the streets are clean. They start hanging the flags in the in the city. They, they, they start passing out the decorations and the shopkeepers, they start organizing everything because the president may come into their shop and eat ice cream. And, 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 and so many things happen. Uh, and people celebrate, and they gather together. The people, they start organizing their schedules so that they can make sure that they can see the president. They might get a chance to, to see something historic happen. And, and the whole atmosphere is electric with the anticipation of what might happen when the president arrives. And if if you've seen anything like that, if you've been a part of anything like that, you know that it can be very special. The atmosphere on that day, some 2,000 years ago, it must have been very similar for them to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah and he's coming into town. I wonder what it must have been like. But when we read it in Mark's synoptic gospel, we... We get this glimpse, we get this, this window into what it must have been like. Mark is one of the synoptic gospels. The word synoptic means as seen together. And so we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are part of the synoptic gospels. And each one of these gospels tells the story of Jesus' triumphal entry from their perspective. But I like Mark because Mark is just nothing but the facts, man. He just tells it like he, he just saw it. He just tells it. And so here we have Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1 through 11. We see that Mark just tells it how it happened. And as we, as we read it, we're going ha- to gain some insight. And we're going to understand exactly why, why Jesus came. Even though in just a few days, the same crowd that, that worshipped him, the same crowd that welcomed him... Was gonna, was gonna convict him, send him to his death. Jesus allowed all of this to happen, even though in just a short time, things were gonna change. Even though he knew he was about to die, even though all of it was just for a, a few days. Why would somebody allow that to happen? Why would Jesus allow this, this pomp and circumstance, when it, in all actuality, he knew that it, was, that it was a funeral procession. Why would that happen? We're going to find that out and more as we read Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it... You will see a young donkey tied to uh, tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystander, bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? They said what Jesus told them to say, and they permitted to, they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on on the road ahead of them, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessing! on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessing on the on, on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in the highest heaven. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. What an account. the The, the atmosphere is electric. People are going about getting ready to receive Jesus. They're, they're shouting out, they're doing all these things, But but I wanna tell you a little bit about the background and set this passage up for you so that you can kind of understand the context of the situation. Jesus had been traveling all around Galilee. During this time, he had been preaching and teaching and healing the sick and doing all this amazing stuff. And there, everybody was gathering around him in throngs and pressing in and, and trying to learn and understand his his new teaching, which was absolutely revolutionary. And 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 at that time, it was getting closer and closer to the Passover. And the Passover is a, a tremendous. Uh, time where the, where the Jews observe what God had done for them by freeing them from the land of Egypt bringing them into the wilderness and, and setting them free from the bonds of slavery and so it was uh, it was it was traditional for Jews all over the area to, to make a pilgrimage into Jerusalem so that they could uh, participate in all the festivities of the Passover which included a meal it clu- includes uh, 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 the 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 observance of the sacrifices and and many many things and so Jews all around would travel up up to Jerusalem because everywhere is up from Jerusalem. It kind of sits on a hill except for one place, the Mount of Olives. So Jesus is traveling out of Galilee and he, and he comes into this city of, of uh, Bethpage and, and Bethpage is just outside of the Mount of Olives. And, and Bethany is just on top of the Mount of Olives. We're about two miles from Jerusalem. And so Jesus tell, looks over to his, his disciples, and he says something he says go go get me a, a, a donkey 's colt you 'll see it over in Bethany just a, a short distance and and when you think of Bethany, think of a in Bethpage, think of just a, a a large neighborhood these are are cities." in that day, but it's just a large neighborhood, uh, a few hundred people living there uh, and just outside. It's kind of like a, a small suburb. Jesus says, go in over there and, and pick up this colt, this, this donkey that nobody's ever ridden and bring it to me. Now, Jesus knows in this moment what's about to happen. That as he takes his disciples into Jerusalem, to celebrate the Passover. He knows that in just a few short days, he's going to be crucified. Can you imagine what must have been going through Jesus' mind at this time? That for, for such a long time, the observance of, of the Passover and the, and the celebration that happens and, and the sacrifice that is made, it was all leading up to, to this time. This time this period that Jesus knew that he was the one that Moses was looking forward to and thinking about. That he was the one that all the people had been celebrating, had been looking forward to. And Jesus is about to enter in. And so he told his disciples to go get this donkey, this this cult of a donkey and bring it here. Now, it probably sounds a little bit like Jesus is commissioning theft in this moment, right? You know, go go get that donkey. I don't know who it belongs to, but bring it here. But it's kind of interesting because during that time, they they had laws about theft and everything like that, just like we do. But they had this this one exception. It wasn't theft, it it was the law of acquisition. That at this moment, if the ruler needed a beast of burden or an animal or property, the ruler could acquisition that and take it for himself to serve him or the kingdom. And so Jesus told his disciples to go and acquire this donkey, this colt. And if anybody were there to ask, which Jesus in his foreknowledge knew where the donkey would be and, and knew that somebody would be there to ask, he said, tell them that the master needs it. Tell them that the Lord needs it. Tell them that the ruler needs it. And so sure enough, as the two disciples went to acquire the donkey, guys jumped out and said, hey, what are you doing? You're, you're stealing my convertible donkey. <laughs> Can't do that, man. And the disciples said, hey, Whoa. Law of Acquisition, the ruler needs it. And can you imagine what they must have thought, they must have felt like? Oh, okay, hey, can I get you another one? Take it, bring it back anytime. Just wash it, fill it up, right? So the disciples brought it back. I want you to understand something. Why did Jesus take this donkey, this colt? Well, it was very simple. Jesus, in His foreknowledge, began to fulfill the prophecies that were laid out some five hundred years before by Zechariah, when he said in Zechariah nine, verse nine, he says, "Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout in triumph, o, o people of Jerusalem! Look, your King is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Yet he is humble, riding on a riding on a donkey's, and he knew it." And so in, in the effort to fulfill the prophecy, just as it was written 500 years ago, Jesus calls for a donkey's colt to ride in. And what's the significance of a donkey's colt? Why would you do that? I mean, you and I both know that if we we're going to ride into town victorious and set up our, our, our reign, set up our, our lordship, our kingship, we'd pick a stallion, man. We pick a white stallion. We pick one of those big ones that was intimidating, you know? Like, you know, nostrils flare out, just standing up proud, looking at you like you got something to do. But that's not what Jesus did. He picked a donkey's colt. Why? That's very, very important for us to understand that at that time, a donkey represented peace. A donkey represented peace. And so as as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, he wanted to signal, he wanted to, to communicate to everybody that he was there to bring peace in that moment. And it's just so unbelievable because he came in an act of humility. Yet Zechariah tells us that... It wasn't a future idea. Zechariah was telling us that he saw Jesus in that moment, at that time, not as going to be victorious over hell, sin, death, and the grave, but Jesus riding on that colt, coming in humility, telling people that he was there in peace, was already victorious. He said, he said, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous. He is victorious. Yet he is humble. So Jesus is telling everybody, look at me. I'm riding into Jerusalem through that golden gate. And I am victorious. I am righteous. But I come in peace. Come in peace. And then we have the crowd doing something so bizarre, so unbelievable. What are they doing? They're they're taking off their cloaks, their outer garments, and they're laying it over the donkey, and the donkey begins to ride. Can you imagine what must have been going through their mind? Just putting their cloaks on? What's what's going on? What is that about? And we, we realize something is that that's a, that's a symbol, that's an act of submission and reverence at that time, that that people would remove their cloaks and, and place it on the donkey or place it in front of that donkey as that donkey would move, move across their cloaks. There's, the people are showing them, hey, hey, listen, I, I respect you, I, I submit to you, it doesn't matter what is on the outside of me, I'll take it off and I'll throw it because it doesn't matter what kind of uniform, it doesn't matter what I want people to see me as, you can see See me as my true self and my undergarments right here, my, my, everything, my, the finest possessions I own, the, what I wear, I put it down underneath you because you are the king. You are my king. You are my ruler. That's what that is communicating. And so people are submitting all the way as Jesus rides this little colt down from Bethany down uh, the, the Mount of Olives, which is just a, an Oklahoma hill, if we're going to be honest with you. It's like 300 feet above the, uh, above the level of the, um, uh, of the Temple Mount. And to ride from Bethany on the top of Mount of Olives all the way across the Kidron Valley into the Temple area, it's, it takes about 15 minutes. It's, it's really just a short little ride, but it's filled with symbolism. Because people begin to cut palm branches and wave them in the air as an act of, of worship and welcome to the Lord, to the King, to their Savior. Because they shouted, praise God, according to our New Living Translation, that, that was praise God. That's okay. That, it, was a, it, was a, it was an act of worship. They were praising God. But that's really not the the exact translation because the exact translation in Greek is actually the word Hosanna. Somebody say Hosanna. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Well, What does Hosanna mean? When you look at the Greek, it actually means something completely different than just praise God. It has a different kind of connotation. They saw Jesus coming into their area. They saw Jesus coming. They saw the Messiah coming. And they began to say, Hosanna, which means save us now. Save us now. And when you lean into that text and really understand what's going on here, we find a geopolitical nature that that, that encapsulates the the thought of the, the Jews at that time. They were being occupied by the Roman people. The Roman emperor came in and and began to occupy that area. They allowed Israel to go ahead and maintain their nationality as long as they stayed submitted to Rome. But this hadn't been the first time that the, that the people of Israel had been subjugated to a, 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 a new nation or a foreign government or authority. I mean, this has happened with the Babylonians and the Syrians and the Persians and the Greeks. The, the, the Jews were, were used to being subjugated in some sense. And so their mindset... According to prophecies was that the Messiah was going to come and set up his kingdom and put everything in the right balance and and throw off the rule of the Romans And set up his kingdom so that everything Would happen in a right way That the golden era of King David would be reestablished Through the Messiah He was a military and political leader in their minds But Jesus had a different idea Jesus had a different purpose. You see, while they were welcoming who they thought was a military and a political leader, Jesus was something more. He didn't, he he wasn't there to save them for that day and that age and that time and that trouble. He wasn't there to throw off the Roman Empire he was there to save them spiritually. He was there to save them from sin. He was there to solve the sin problem, not just for, not just for, for that region and that time and that, that, that political out, uh, uh, ideology. He was there to save all humanity from the ravages of sin. I kind of wonder sometimes if you and I accidentally make the the same assumption about Jesus and what his intended purpose is for our life. I, I mean we have the luxury of understanding that, that he has come to save us from our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We read it right there in the gospel. The good news that Jesus has come, he has died for our sins. And on the third day, he rose again and triumphed over all of these things. Yet, yet you and I even have a tendency sometimes to to only choose to welcome Jesus. If he's going to fix our problems. If he's going to get us out of debt. If he's going to fix our marriage or if he's going to fix our relationship or if he's going to save us from that D minus in science class. We only want Jesus to come in the way that we want him to come to fix what's wrong with our lives. And I got bad news for you, because if that's the way that you're welcoming Jesus, you're going to be disappointed in just a week. You're going to throw him out. You're going to say, get out of my life, get out of my heart, get out of everything, because you didn't come to do what I wanted you to do. And that's the same thing that the Jews did at that moment. They welcomed that military leader, but when Jesus didn't take control, like they wanted him to take control, they said, crucify him. And that's, that's the problem. That's the problem. we, We want Jesus to do what we want Jesus to do, not what he's come to do. What has Jesus come to do? Luke chapter 19 verse 10 tells us, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. It's right there in black and white. First Timothy 1 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And John 3 16 through verse 17 so eloquently and everyone knows this says for this is how God loved the world He gave his one and only son So that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him That is why Jesus came he didn't come so that you could be delivered from debt or from relationship issues. He didn't come for you to be delivered from your job or for your, from your school. He didn't even come so that your body would be healed. He came to fix the problem of sin in your life. To make you stand right before the Father. You see, folks, there's only one way to welcome Jesus. There's only one way to make him Lord. You can say, Lord, Lord, with your mouth. But if you don't mean it in your heart, if you don't open your heart to receive him as such, then it really didn't mean anything, did it? You can throw, you can wave the palm branches, you can lay your coats before the Lord as he walks in. But unless you make him the Lord of your life, it doesn't mean anything. You have to welcome him in the way that he calls for you to welcome him, to be the Lord and the master of your life. But even then, when you make him the Lord and the master of your life and he he gets your sin and he takes it away from you and and in place of your sin, he puts his peace and his love and his joy and his hope. Inside of you. He changes you from the inside out and when he becomes the Lord of your life Then from from that radiates the, the rest of the healings that he wants to do He wants to heal your relationships. He wants to heal your body. He wants to heal your finances He wants to heal your emotions, but you have to make him the Lord of your life first Amen. Then he'll fix the problems in your life Then he'll save you from all of those other things but before we're too hard on the Jews and even us sometimes, we have to analyze the scripture and try to find out why did the Jews have this expectation of Jesus and coming in such a way? it's quite simple when you look at the at scriptures, 17 Old Testament books talk about the Messiah coming in such a way that he takes control. 23 out of the 27 books in the New Testament talk about Jesus' second coming in such a way that he'll judge the earth and set everything in a right balance. Seven out of 10 chapters in the New Testament talk about the the second coming of Christ Jesus. That means that one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament are warning us He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming again. He's coming again. And when we look at what it means when the Bible tells us he's coming, we find out in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 51. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. This is Paul telling us what's about to happen. We will not all die but we will be transformed it will happen in a moment in a blink of an eye when the tr- last trumpet is blown for when the trumpet sounds those who have died will be raised to live forever folks this is not myth this is not this is not a fantastic story that you tell your children before bed this is this is prophecy this is what we believe as christians the great hope that we have in Christ Jesus our lord and we who are alive will also be transformed for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Ladies and gentlemen, this is about the rapture of the church. And there's not one prophecy that has to occur before Jesus comes back. He could come back before the end of this message and receive his bride. What a wonderful awesome and horrifying idea that Jesus could come at any moment to take us away to glory. But that's not it. That's not where the scripture stops. It continues on. Jude chapter 1 starting in verse 14. Enoch who lived in the seventh generation after Adam. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not very long after the beginning of the world. Even then, God had a plan. He said, He prophesied about the, these people. That's us, the people on the other side of the resurrection of salvation. He said, Listen. The Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Revelation chapter 19 verse 15. This is John's revelation. What Jesus showed John that would happen from his mouth meaning Jesus, came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus came on the back of a colt of a donkey to tell us that he was coming to set us free from the curse of sin and death and the grave. But one day Jesus is going to return and he will set things right and it won't be as a peaceful Messiah, but he will come and he will put things right everywhere. It's easy to see, folks, why people missed it at that moment. They were looking for somebody to solve all the world's problems. But before Jesus solved the world's problems, he had to come and solve us, our problem. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what your state is, what your condition is. The truth of the matter is this, is that that while man looks on the outward appearance, God can see down deep into your heart. It's a scary thought because you could be waving the palm branches. You could be throwing your cloak before him and look no different than anyone else. But the motivation and the intention in your heart is not to welcome a savior that would be to take away your sin. It would just be to welcome somebody that would fix your problem. Folks, there's only one name. There's only one way to be saved. And it's through Jesus Christ and to make him the Lord and the master and the savior of your life. There's no other way. As we celebrate his return and the start of this holy week, would you welcome him in the right way? In a right way. Would you stand with me all over this place? Let's bow our heads as we pray. Oh, Holy Spirit. Lord, move through this place. Lord, I pray that you would reveal people's motivations in their heart for how they welcome Christ. Lord, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord Jesus, you are the eternal, immortal, invincible, the only wise God. And Lord, right now you welcome us, Lord, in peace. Lord, to humbly approach you. Lord, and make you the Lord of our lives. Lord, you offer us this amazing exchange, Lord, in which we can give you our sin and our shame and our guilt. Lord, and you take it and in replace, you give us joy and peace and, and your love. But Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, reveal to us our own motivation for welcoming you because if it's just to fix problems in our lives, then we really haven't made you the Lord At all. Help us, Lord, to commit ourselves to you fully and totally. With every head bowed and every eye remaining closed is a private moment. As you turn your your eyes inwardly on your heart and you take inventory of of your own motivations, would you say you're here this morning? and you've made him the Lord of your life? Or have you, have you mistakenly just made him the Lord of your problem? If you need to get right with the Lord, if you need to correct your motivation, if you need to welcome him in a new and a different way, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just simply reach your hands up? Thank you, thank you. I'm looking all around, adjusting your motivation. I'm looking all around. He needs to be the Lord of your life, not the Lord of your problems. I'm looking all around right now. Just raise your hand up to respond to this message, affirmatively saying, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Yes, thank you. There's been three. Oh, Jesus. I thank you, God. Lord, in this moment, I thank you for these hands that were raised. Lord, as they realign their commitment towards you. Oh, Jesus. All right. Would you just lift your heads right now? I just want to speak to you as your pastor. This week is a is an incredible week, and I thank God for the people that have raised their hands. But uh, I want you to know that there are there's something more. That if you've made him the Lord of your life, then you have a task. You have a call. A call on your life to help other people come to him and humble themselves so that they can receive his love and his forgiveness and and the joy that comes with it so that they can make him the Lord of their life. Because the time is running short. The time of peace is running short because soon and very soon, there's an old song that says, we are going to see the king. But soon and very soon, there's gonna be a people left that won't get to experience that peace, that won't get to experience him coming in a peaceful way, but instead they'll be standing before him in judgment. You and I have the opportunity to to welcome him and and to help others welcome him in a right way before God. And that means that it's, it's our opportunity it's, it's on us. This is an important week for the kingdom as we celebrate Christ and his resurrection, but it's also an important week for Christ's legacy because we get to play a part of that. So if you would just hold up these flyers one more time because these flyers are going to mean something more than just an advertisement. I, w- I would welcome you to consider this as you hold this flyer in your hand. Think of who this flyer represents. What person needs to hear the gospel message? What person needs to, be, needs to welcome Christ Jesus to be the Lord and the master of their life, to forgive them of their sin, to cleanse them from all unrighteousness? What person needs that the most? Let this flyer represent that person as a saved and committed person in the kingdom of God. Would you take on the responsibility not just to give out one, but to give out several and to, to invite people to come to church where, where they can experience that message of the gospel. Go ahead and invite them. And, and, then, and then whatever service you go to, whether it's the 8.30 or the 10.30 or whether it's just the Easter egg hunt, whatever it is, then after that, take them out to eat and talk about what they just heard and, 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 and begin to encourage them in the Lord because, because ladies and gentlemen, the time is short. There's a reason we do things with urgency. So as you hold on to this flyer and and in your mind's eye who this flyer represents, and we've made more flyers available in the Connection Center, I invite you to pray. Pray with me over, over who this represents, that God would even now begin to draw their hearts to him so that they can enter into the kingdom and their family could enter the kingdom and they will be saved heavenly father we thank you and we praise you god we thank you lord for giving us the opportunity the the opportunity to to lead people into your presence to lead them into a saving relationship with you Oh, God, I pray that you would begin to draw their hearts to you by the power of your Holy Spirit. Give give our people words to speak and the power and the courage to speak them. Lord, and I pray, God, that their invitation, Lord, would be accepted and that these seats would be filled so that your kingdom would be filled and, Lord, that you would be welcomed, Lord. Lord, in, in your humility, but still standing in righteousness and still standing, Lord Jesus Lord, in power and might over every sin in our lives. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for what you're going to do throughout this week. Lord, I pray that we would find you, that we would give hope, and that we would do life together. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for coming and invite somebody to church next week.